Hi there, I'm Keaton. Thanks for checking out one of our messages today. We would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way that you can do that is by texting River Connect. That's one word to the number 97,000. You can also head to our website, theriverchurch.cc, to learn more about us in upcoming events. Lastly, if you want to give to the River Church, you can text the amount that you want to give to 84321 or head to our website and click the Give tab. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Welcome, everybody. How fantastic is that, huh? So awesome. Yeah, so great. Good stuff. Uh, Love our kids. Um, Thankful they came to the 8 o'clock this morning. Way to go, parents. Getting up a four-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a nine-year-old to get them here by eight o'clock was pretty awesome, but it blessed, blessed our eight o'clock gathering, so, so really, really good stuff. Uh, Isaiah chapter number nine, if you take your Bibles and turn there. Sometimes with all the things going on in the church, you, you may not know all of them. Uh, listen, I don't know all of them, all right? So you may come to me, what, what's going on there? And I'll be like, I, I don't know, I have to go find out. Uh, but just to share some of the things that have happened in the last five, six days, uh, our young adult ministry uh, has taken care of something called Angel Tree. Uh, we have put together gifts uh, for some 70 families uh, whose parents uh, are incarcerated. And so our young adults took care of that, put gifts together, delivered those. <laughs> Yesterday at our Holly and Waterford location, we fed, we gave out food to 67 families, uh, which is great. Uh, we have... Uh, we're a part of Toys for Tots, and many of you have been serving in that, and so we're able to give gifts out to that. We had our, our youth ministry, uh, some of our student leaders went and served at a food bank yesterday. Uh, last night, we had um, our children were here, a parents' night out. We had a bunch of kids running around the building here. Tonight, we have student ministry. Uh, we have their big Christmas party, and they're going to turn this building into an 18-hole putt-putt course. Uh, so uh, Pat's really excited about that. Uh, but just... Um, Just a lot of things going on as we celebrate the Lord, as we love God and love people. And uh, it's just been an awesome couple days. We're excited for Christmas. We're looking forward to Christmas Eve. want to encourage you to invite friends and family. Again, I believe Pat said it, but the 9, 11, and 6, they're they're all the same gathering. So if you're like, I'm going to hit two of those, great. You're going to hear me preach two of the same sermons, just so you know. Uh, But 9, 11, and 6, we tried to make that as... as, um, Easy, easily available. Somebody have stuff in the morning and night, and so we just tried to open up the doors uh, as much as we can. So looking forward to this coming Sunday. Isaiah chapter number nine. So I got a question for you as we begin the sermon. How long is Christmas? And some of you analytical people say, well, it's 24 hours, Pastor. I mean, it's, that's what it is. Christmas and uh, December 25th. And some of you who are gifts people go, uh-uh, there's 12 days of Christmas. 12 days. And then some of you who are musical go, uh-uh, the radio station starts on November 1st. So we know Christmas is at least two months long. And if you shop at Costco, they think it begins in like July when they start putting stuff out, right? But how How long is Christmas? When does it begin and when does it end? I can think back as as a child. I have some fond memories of that little house uh, on Pauline Street. And uh, mom, we're uh, in my sister's bedroom, uh, in the little closet, up in the ceiling was this little cutout in the ceiling was to the attic. 
And every, near Christmas, dad would slither up into the attic until I got big enough. And then he threw me up in the attic. But you go up in the attic and you'd get those boxes. Anybody store their stuff up in the attic? That's where it goes for, but you store it up in there. And so you get that box down, that cardboard box that's been duct taped 486 times. You know, every year you don't take, you just, okay, another layer of duct tape. It's good. You just keep putting on more and more duct tape and the boxes and you get it out. And I could just remember as a kid, like, all right, Christmas has begun. We've got the stuff down. The tree is up. And then when does it end? You, you, you start filling the box back up, right? You put all the lights away. Some of you are weird and don't turn off your lights till like February. That's weird. But this month, as we focus on Christmas, We look to Jesus, the everlasting Father. We look to to Christ, and we've been studying this month, looking back to a passage in the Bible that's some 700 years before Jesus is born in the manger. Some 700 years before Jesus comes, the Bible tells us through the prophet Isaiah, it says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And as we keep reading, we come across four names. And that's what we've been studying. These four names. Wonderful Counselor. Describing who Jesus is. The Wonderful Counselor. The Mighty God. The Everlasting Father. And the Prince of Peace. It is describing the Almighty God. Jesus who comes Who will reign? That's why he says the government shall rest upon his shoulders. Now, whenever we study the word of God, it's important for us to understand the context. So when we look at the book of Isaiah, understanding that the Lord's people, the people of Judah in Jerusalem, there is great tension happening during the life of Isaiah. There is war, there are rumors of wars, there is pressure, and there are threats. Isaiah is dressing, addressing this. And I, I think as I've studied this passage for the last few months and listening to pastors and studying books, this, this thought I think is maybe the biggest thought here is that Isaiah comes to the king of Judah at the time and basically says, who, who are you going to trust? When things get difficult, who who do you trust? And so he comes to the king of Judah and says, hey, you need to trust the Lord. The Lord is who will take care of you. And so Isaiah is telling him, listen, we need to trust in the Lord. And that's when he speaks of this verse, that there's a child to be born. This is who we're to trust in. Again, as he looks to the king, king, will you trust in your strategies Or will you trust in the wonderful counselor that has the perfect plan? Hey, king, will you trust in your might? How about your armies? Will you trust in them? And the king didn't. The king of Judah didn't trust in his armies. And so he was trying to figure out, what do I do? Who do I trust? Where do I go? And so he goes to the Syrians, who are a powerful nation at that time. And he says, you and I, I'm going to trust you guys. And Isaiah knew that was a bad idea, and Isaiah prophesied that they're going to come, that that treaty that you have, it won't last forever. In the book of 2 Kings, it tells specifically what the king Ahaz does of Judah. See, in Isaiah 7, 
Isaiah came to him and said, trust in the Lord. And 2 Kings 16, 7 really gives the answer. It says, Ahaz, Ahaz sent messengers to the king of Assyria. You figure out how to say his name. I'm not saying, I am your servant and your son. And just to backtrack, what, what did he say? He went to the Assyrians and said, hey, I'm your servant in this interesting word and your son. You're, you're the father. We're, 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 we're going to come under you. He says, come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who is attacking me. You find where in the time of trouble, where did Ahaz go? He didn't trust the Lord. This is why Isaiah says, let me tell you who to trust in. Let me tell you, the wonderful counselor, you think your strategy is going to work, it doesn't. Trust the wonderful counselor. You think your might or you can find somebody or something that's going to give you the strength. No, trust in the mighty God. And this morning we get to this third name, which is the name Everlasting Father. That's why I think it's so interesting in 2 Kings when Ahaz says, hey, you know what, we're going to submit to you. We're your servant and your son. And Isaiah says, let me tell you who the everlasting father is. So let's pray, ask the Lord for help, and we're going to dive in. Lord, please open up our, our eyes and our hearts to your truth here this morning. May... I be an obedient servant to you and to be used by you. I pray you bless this in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So everlasting father. Some people say when you study this, this is the most difficult of the four names that describe Jesus who is to come. The baby that's to be born. Because everlasting father can be a little confusing. You see, as a Christian, if we, we follow Jesus we believe in one God and three persons. We believe in one God, in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But we also believe we don't just mix those all together. What I mean by that is there is the Father God, there is Jesus Christ the Son and the Holy Spirit. Studying this week, I heard a pastor preach this. It was very interesting. He said, you know, so when you're praying, and some of us who pray, Father God, ask you for this, and praise you for this, Father God. Father God, thank you for dying on the cross. And he said, no, no, hold on. You stop there. Why? Because God the Father didn't die on the cross. God the Father sent God the Son to die on the cross. Jesus is who died on the cross. So here, when it says everlasting father and attributing this to Jesus, this isn't, um, Isaiah in saying this, isn't saying Jesus is God the father and God the son. That's not what he's saying. He is pointing to Jesus as he is to reign and to rule and the characters of who he is and how he loves and how Jesus will have all authority. He uses the image of an everlasting father. So in John 14, we see the relationship between Jesus and the father. In John 14, 6 Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to who? The Father, 
except through me. Jesus goes on to say, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do not know him. You do know him and have seen him. So here the disciples are asking Jesus questions. This is the night before Jesus goes to the cross. And so he's saying, hey, I'm going to go to the cross and you will know specifically. But Philip, who analyzes everything, who's one of the disciples walking through this, okay, I don't get this, Jesus, what do you mean? And so Jesus says this in verse 9, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? So a paraphrase of this passage to help us understand, one said it like this, said, Jesus says this, Philip, you are still trying to solve the riddle without remembering that I am the key. After these months in which I have shown you what the Father is like and revealed him to you, you should have understood. I have lived my whole life with you and the Father in fellowship with him. Have you not heard my Father's voice and what I have said and recognized my Father's presence and powers and the works I have done? Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So we see the beautiful relationship between God the Father and God the Son. So Sinclair Ferguson says it like this, and again, it is so helpful to me. It says, the living word is the one who is face to face with God. So to see Jesus is to see the Father. There's no confusion here that the two are divine persons, right? The Father and the Son are different in person and yet one in disposition. And this is very important to us. This implies that there is nothing in the Father's character or in his attitude toward us that is different in what we find in Jesus. To see Jesus is to see the Father. So you'll hear some people go, well, the God of the Old Testament is different than Jesus. No, the same character, the same love, the same truth. So here, when the word of God describes the everlasting father, he is speaking of Jesus in a sense of as him reigning. What does this reign look like? It's an everlasting reign of a father's Love for the people in the kingdom. It is this personal. Think about a king. For a king to even know some of the names of the people in the kingdom, Jesus knows all of your names. Jesus not only knows all of your names, he knows all of your hurts, all of your thoughts, all of your future, and all of your past. He is a personal, everlasting God. So let's do a little word study. Everlasting. What does this mean here? It means he loves endlessly. One to find it, he is the author of everlasting life and happiness to them. He is the Christ of all ages. He is the Father that will never die. In describing who Jesus is, he is the eternal source forever. Listen, Jesus is never going to bail on you. 
Jesus is not the one. I'm out. Jesus is the eternal, good, loving God. No one's going to pluck you out of your father's hand, the Bible says. Romans 8, that talks about God's love, describes it like this. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He knows you, and it is an everlasting love. This verse says, hey, when this heart stops beating, is that going to separate you from God's love? Mm-mm. This body dying won't separate us. We have eternity with the everlasting Father. It says his death, and then it says life. Meaning, are there going to be trials or persecution or things on this earth? Is that going to separate you from God's love? No. Then it moves to these powers, angels and rulers. It's pointing to to principalities and things we don't understand. Like, are those things big enough to pull you out of the love of God? No. Things now, things in the future, height nor depth, anything in all of creation, no. And maybe this Christmas, the love of God gets personal with you that you understand his love for you is eternal. He's everlasting. This week, I, uh, I received a text. I was in a group text with the three of us. Have you ever gotten a text that you went, I, I don't think I'm supposed to be in this text? You ever got that before? You're like, you got the wrong person. And so there's a, a couple in the church. And uh, so there was the, the husband and the wife and me. And the wife sent a text. And somehow I got looped in on this. So I'll just show you the text, Okay. I was uncomfortable for a minute, okay? I was like, um, those are kiss emojis if you can't see, okay? So I was jokingly, and she's like, I'm so sorry, Pastor. This was, this was supposed to be me and my husband, not you. you. I'm like, I'm leaving. I'm out. I don't even want to be here. But in all honesty, it blessed me. Because I think about this couple who's been married for some 20 years. He's gone off to work and she says, hey, just I love you. And the the care and the love. And in our culture, when we talk about marriage, so many people go, well, the first couple years are good and you'll love you. But then it just, it just, it's just a weight. And, a, and it's like, no, until death do us part, like we're called to love each other and to, to fight for that love. And so for me as a pastor, I was like, this is so beautiful. Just, just loving your husband, just fighting to love each other. That's beautiful. And I thought in the context, like our marriage, like we think till death do us part. As long as I, like we're to love each other. And it just made me think, I was studying, man, that's an awesome love. But it just points to a much greater love. What is that? The everlasting Father's love for you. Don't forget it. Don't let it pass you by. It is eternal. 
This is the amazing love of God. Then we come to the word Father. Again, how Jesus will reign and rule, what does it look like? It's, it's, it's like a father loving a child. Psalms 103.13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah, and also in Ezekiel, Ezekiel specifically, there's a chapter where God calls out the kings, calls out the rulers and the leaders. He calls them out and says, hey, it is gross how you're leading. You're supposed to be having a fatherly love. You're supposed to be taking care of them. Instead of taking care of them, you're taking care of yourself. He describes them as shepherds. You're supposed to be shepherding the flock and protecting them, and you're not doing any of that. You see the anger of the Lord. And so as we read Isaiah and these, the, the Old Testament prophets, you see God saying, hey, Jesus is coming. He is the good shepherd. That's why in the, in the Gospels when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, I will watch over the sheep. He is addressing this. He's saying, hey, I'm the one who will reign and rule and I know you. And I'm the best king. And I will love you as a father loves a child. So trying to define the love of a father, I think becomes more and more difficult in our culture. And so what I think is the best way to define this, I thought about this, is I want to show you one passage in the New Testament that says what a father's love should be to his children. And I believe this reflects in what the father's love is to us. Ephesians 6, 4 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now again, when this passage is written, to tell a father, hey, father, hey, you see their heart's broken? You, you need to care about that. Don't provoke your child to anger. You're, what you're doing, your favoritism or your criticism or your, your, your lack of discipline or your over-discipline, you're crushing them. See their heart. See where they're at. And for the culture then, this was like the, the father was the rule. He could do whatever he want. No, I'm done with them. I rule. I reign. What I say, I don't need to care about what they think. But again, showing us the love of the Father, he sees your heart. You see this amazing love the Father has for his children. He says, don't provoke them to anger. This says really three things I'm going to point out. It says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So the first thing, fathers, bring them up. Don't skip this to get to the other thing. This word here, to bring them up. When you look at the Greek, it means to nourish or to feed. It's this overall idea of gentleness or friendliness. John Calvin says it like this. He, he, he says, let them be kindly cherished. When you see the love of the Father that points back to Jesus, you see a father going, hey, come on. Come on. I got you. Yeah, I got you. Let's go. Good? All right. All right, watch out the cord right there. You're going to trip. Got it? All right, good. You good? All right. 
It's a father bringing the child along. Yesterday, our growth community, we got together in a bus and went caroling. Went to houses, people, shut-ins, and some elderly people. And so you got that picture. Uh, We jumped in the bus. (laughs) Families and little kids. We stop after stop. Every stop. Little kids. Dad, what would dad do? Grab their hand. Come on. Hey, big step of the bus. We're by the road. Let's, okay, we're going to go across the yard. We're going to go up here. You know what didn't happen? Dad didn't sit on the bus and go, hey, there's a door up there. Figure it out. Sat on the bus and let them fall down the steps of the bus and run across the road. And it's not what happened. What happened? Dad got up. Ready for this? Dad went up to the door. Dad, who can't sing, started singing. Bringing them along, showing them. This is how we're called to be fathers. And this isn't a sermon on hate, talking to dads. This is a sermon about, do you know what a heavenly father looks like? He's here to you going, hey, come on. Yeah, I know you don't want to go, but you need to go. Come on. Yeah, we got to go this. I know you want to go that way, but that way there's danger over there. I don't want you going that way. I know you want to. Come on, I got you. Sometimes it's, all right, come on. I know, I know you want to go that way. Aren't you glad God does that to you sometimes? He brings you along. And I want you to think of when it describes Jesus, when you get to Christmas, you think of the everlasting Father who what? Loves you. 1 John 4, 9, in this the love of God was made manifest or shown among us that God sent his only son into the world. And I love this too. He sent Jesus, right? Jesus didn't start in the manger. Jesus is eternal in heaven with God. He sends Jesus so that we might live through him. In this is love. Now listen to this. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation to our sins, to take our place. Verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. We see God sought us. It wasn't because like we figured out and God goes, okay, no, no. God loved us. And because of that, we may love. Again, I know in our culture to say love is, what, what does this mean? I was reading and came across a study. A group of professors said, how do we figure out what love means? So they went and asked a bunch of four to eight-year-olds, what does love mean? Here's some of their answers. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries <laughs> without making them give, any of, give you any of theirs. Love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Love is when mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure it tastes okay. (laughs) Love is what's in the room at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. When you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out. (laughs) Love is when my grandmother got arthritis. She couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore, so grandfather 
does it for her all the time. Even when his hands have arthritis in them too. It's a cool thing to see a child's perspective on love. But the Lord tells us his amazing love is even greater than that. He loves you so much. God loves you. He sent his son to this earth to die on the cross. The everlasting father to give you life. God, he is, as one said, the source. Love has its source in God. Love, true love, unconditional love, is one that seeks the highest good for the one who is loved. This is God's love for us. Barclay says, Jesus does not just give advice and direction. He takes us by the hand, leads us. He strengthens us and guides us personally every day. He does not tell us about the way. He is the way. In this Christmas, when we think about the baby, we think about the wonderful counselor, mighty God. May we think of the everlasting loving Father. So back to Ephesians 6, 4, to bring them up in the discipline. A loving, godly father disciplines. This word also means trains, equips, prepares. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 says, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He redirects us. He's not one who just slaps us on the wrist or who gives up on us, like whatever. No, he he trains us and he loves us. In our life, we have trials and tests. We have direction. And to be honest, there's so many, like so many times in this life, we can be such weak Christians that as soon as something comes that we don't like, we go, fine, God, you don't love me. A trial comes, something where God's going, no, I'm preparing you. We go, nope, God, you didn't do what I wanted. I'm out. And we act like a five-year-old to their parent. When God loves us and goes, no, I'm I'm trying to raise you up, help you, build you, so you can do what I've called you to do. One pastor used the illustration. He said, why don't you go try to run a marathon tomorrow? You know what? I'm going to run a marathon tomorrow. Just going to try it. What's going to happen? Death. No, no, right? No, you, you have to train. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bench 300 pounds tomorrow. Try that with no spotter. I'll watch. No, no, you train. You build up. You learn. You grow. I figure out how to do it. And, oh, man, that was a bad run. And these are bad shoes. And this is, this is I can't do this. And I can do this. And you grow to then be able to do it. The everlasting father disciplines his children Some of you, he's trying to help so much and you keep running away. Some of you, he's just going, come on, come on. And every little hiccup, you're like, nope, I'm out, God. Nope, I'm out, God. 
God, in the most loving way, is going, come on, I want to help you. Just like we want to help our children. We we don't want them to be weak and lost as a 25-year-old. We want them to be strong. We want them to be able to live. This is God to you going, come on. So many times we give up on the trial. And he's loving you to discipline you and help you. The last one in Ephesians 6, 4, to bring them up in the discipline and instruction. Here the the word literally means to place before the mind, to instruct, to warn. It's God teaching us. How does he do that? He's given us his word This is what so many, God loves us so much. He said, I'm going to give you the clear truth. Here. I love you and here's the word. As you read the Bible, you go, man, this is amazing. 700 years before he said he was born. And then I read here and 200 years later, the same thing that said here is the same thing that said here. The same teaching, the same help, the same direction, the same truth, the same love. God instructs us through his word. This is why gathering together in the church is so important for us. That's why we don't think it's a once in a while thing. We so need his instruction. We so need the word of God. That's why we point to growth communities and go, hey, don't do this once a week thing or once a month thing. Come and grow. We need the word. He instructs us through the word. But he's not done there. Why? Because the Bible says Jesus went to the cross. He rose again. He goes, I'm sending a helper. Who's that? The Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit do? It instructs us on the word. The Holy Spirit convicts us and leads us. We seek the Lord. We hear His Spirit going, hey, I got this to teach you today. I got this for you to do today. I got this. If we're only willing to listen. So how long is Christmas? Can I tell you it's everlasting. Maybe this season when you put away the, lock, the lights and put the boxes, put the next roll of duct tape on there. You put it up in the attic. If you know the Lord, you know we don't put it away. Now, we put away the American culture Christmas. Yeah, fine, put the lights away. But Christmas for a believer is every day for eternity realizing the everlasting Father's love. So maybe this Christmas we celebrate a little differently. Think about his everlasting counsel, his everlasting might, and his everlasting love. Will you stand with me, please?
The Bible says, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus came with the greatest love. Why? Because he laid down his life on the cross that we may have salvation. The amazing love of the cross. Just want to praise Jesus for his amazing love, huh? He died on the cross and he rose again. The Bible says if we will confess with our mouth and believe that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. To believe in the true King Jesus. I look forward to his return and he's going to reign. May we follow him now. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. May you be glorified. Thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name.